Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Try to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. And he's still down there. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're back. We were just saying, it, it feels like uh, it's been eons since we've last done the show, uh, but it's not, it's not even been a month. It's not even been a month. Two days from now, it'd be exactly a month. April 12th was our last show, but so much has happened and not happened, I guess, over the last month. The duck season came to an end. The last, uh, was it seven games, I think, uh, we missed were played? Ducks, yeah, went 2-4-1 since our last show finished 31-37-14, 6 in the Pacific Division, 10th worst in the National Hockey League, and we're coming to you live after the draft lottery today where, yeah, they finished 10th. No no movement. The 3-point-whatever, 3. 3.5, 3.7% chance to get Shane Wright didn't happen. And uh, for what is it? Is this the first time in a, in a couple years that the team who had the best odds actually got first overall, or am I... Mm-hmm. I believe so. Yeah, Montreal. Yeah, Montreal gets um, gets Shane Wright. So good for them. Because McDavid, Edmonton jumped Arizona. Yeah, I'm just thinking like the last few. Like the well, the Sabres had the worst odds last year, did they not? And they got power. Yes. Yes, okay. you're right. Um, and then before that, it was. Uh, they. I know the Sabres. No, do I don't even. Maybe I'm. I'm all, I, I can't remember my dress. I can't remember but if they jumped for the Dallas. it feels the same way, though, to be fair. Like, yeah. And, New, well, New Jersey it? jumped again, and New Jersey's mm-hmm. jumped every time. Every time I think New Jersey has, with the Hisher, with Hughes, and with um, this one. Brat. Well, they've mm-hmm. just they've jumped for each of their, their picks. So now they get a second or someone, maybe Cooley. I don't know if they'll take another center. So that we could get it early as number two, um, some, some parity. Because I think Logan Cooley is the... I want to say consensus number two, but probably the favorite for number two right now. Shane Wright's more than likely going to go number one. But how do you take a center if you're New Jersey? How do you take Cooley to go with Hisher and Hughes? I, I, I don't. We'll have to see. Well, I think I think at this point it feels like the other name that's in that in the running for second overall is uh, 
what's uh Yurasovsky? Yurasovsky. Yes, Slav Slavkovsky. Yeah. 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 That kid, the big kid. Yeah. Big. That would that would that would make sense for them. That that actually would um, complement the rest of the the guys they have. I could see that happening. Or a defenseman if they want. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Either him or one of the two righties at the top of the draft. I mean, um, you got Dougie. You've got Luke Hughes. Mm -hmm. Got another one. Uh, but the Ducks still get 10th, and there we'll, we'll we'll get into it a little bit too. I mean, actually, we might as well get into it now because uh, we're going to go into a season recap a little bit later. We're going to look at the offseason, preview that a bit, and then we have some housekeeping stuff that uh, we got to get caught up on. Sam Carrick's extension, the Ducks naming Rob DeMeo. I think I got that right, DeMeo, DeMeo uh, as AGM, uh, and signing Callie Klang to an ELC as well as a couple debuts, Hunter Drew's NHL debut and uh, Olin Zellweger's pro debut for the goals in the playoffs. So that's some of the stuff we're going to get into. But obviously the freshest news is the draft lottery results tonight. The Ducks stay at 10. As we mentioned, Montreal wins number one. New Jersey jumps three spots to number two. And I think Arizona hangs on to number three. Two years in a row, Seattle gets shafted in the draft and moves down. Right? They, they go from third to fourth. Arizona? Uh, no, Seattle. Seattle got, uh, I think they moved last year, too. So Seattle jumped up, didn't they? To second. No, no. Oh, Because they got veneers. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. I, I, I should stop talking about his historic uh, jumping and falling <laughs> in the draft lottery because I'm not getting it right. But uh, the, the Ducks will stay at 10. This, and I'm, I'm probably going to make a mistake with this one, but for, now fourth straight year with at least a top 10 pick, right, for Anaheim? Zegris, Drysdale, McTavish, and now this one? Yeah, because it would go... Nine, six, three, ten. Yeah. So the third, uh, fourth straight year with uh, at least a top ten pick. Not the, I would say the deepest of drafts. I would say there's anywhere from eight to ten guys. So that that uh, are a, kind of a tier above um, the guys in the middle of the pack. Here. So, the, so the Ducks should get a good player. And as we see every year, there's always one surprise somewhere in the top ten that will push a guy further down. We saw Cole Perfetti fall down to ten. Uh, in the Zegras draft, we've seen some other guys fall outside the top Marco ten. Rossi. Yeah, Rossi fell down. Um, you know, every every year there's a few guys that do, and this year there are some guys that could do that. David Yurichek is a is a guy I know that a lot of fans are are potentially excited about for the Ducks that they could get him at ten, or if the Ducks moved up a few spots to get him. He's been all over the place in rankings because he had the knee injury at the World Juniors. That's basically taking him out for the entire year so you never know how that's going to affect affect a guy's draft stock you got your your favorite brad lambert your favorite finnish canadian not a real person <laughs> who uh <clears throat> has all the skill in the world but people don't know if, if uh the production is going to come at the nhl level so he'll be potentially hovering around that spot as well as a, a few smaller forwards and frank nazar and jonathan lecker and maki maybe another defenseman the ducks will have some options there at 10 um, what, what are your thoughts? I, I know you had something you wanted to get into with um, you know, how the Ducks have drafted the last two years, how that could kind of affect what they're going to do going forward. They're, they're going to have options to go either forward or defenseman at 10. Um, and you know their best player available might be one of either of them. Yeah, I mean, I think so. What I was kind of mentioning to you before was like, it's really interesting to me to watch the progression of those four lottery picks, right? Um, excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, you have the Zegers draft. They get him at nine. And then even in that draft, Cole Caulfield falls to like 13 or 14, I think, you know. So that's just one of those things where like, you know, just the draft goes kind of funky. But then the next year, 
you have what is considered a forward heavy draft. You've got, you know, that's the one that's got Lucas Raymond, it's got Marco Rossi, it's got Alexander Holt, Jack Quinn, Anton Lindell, right? You've got all these kind of um, projected top six forwards. And Anaheim takes Jamie Dreesdale at six. And I am ecstatic about it. I think he's been great. I just think it's an interesting choice, especially when you juxtapose it going forward. Um, but, you know, then, then you go, they get third, and they take Mason McTavish in what is supposed to be a defenseman-heavy draft. And, you know, and a bit again, of a reach, the... too, right? I know that yeah. was the COVID season, but I think for where he was drafted, it was felt as a bit of a reach. Maybe not so much now, but definitely uh, on draft day, a few people were surprised that he went where he did. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of people had him probably in like the 5 to 10, 5 to 8 range. And, you know, two spots isn't everything, but it's not insignificant when you're talking um, about drafting in the lottery like that. Um you know, but that's again, that's got Simon Edvinson, that's got uh, Luke Hughes, that's got um, Brant Clark. I think is in that draft. Yeah. Um, you know, there, and it's just an, an interesting thing that they take Dreesdale the year before, and what's a forward draft, and then the next year they come and they take um, McTavish, and in a defenseman heavy draft, and now they're in a year where you know, just going off of, I was looking at Cronman's earlier, so that's you know, that's the one that's kind of fresh in my mind. He doesn't have – he's got Juracek and Nemec going, I think, 4-5. Um, and then he doesn't have another defenseman until, like, 14. And then I don't think there's another one until the late teens, early 20s. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because you can look at, you know, kind of – where this season went and what happened. And you, you're looking at, like, right, you got James Dreesdale, Lindholm's gone, Banson is gone, Fowler's still here, Shattenkirk's still here, but they're these holes, right? Uh, Benoit, Mahura look good at times this year. Um, you know, they each bring different types of things, and, and there's plenty to see there when you're looking at them. We still haven't seen much of Gooley in the last couple of years. Uh, but you add Hellison and, and Bakanainen, and now I think you know, you're feeling a little bit different about the defensive depth. And so maybe, you know, that frees you up to not feel compelled to take a defenseman this year um, and to go after one of those goal scorers, right? Like, uh, you know, again, like Matthew Savoie, Frank Nazar, like there's your guys whose rankings are all over the place. Like, I don't think Frank Nazar made the top 20 for central scouting yep. for North American his, forwards his height, skaters. His height's been a problem. And as yeah. we've seen, you know, like you well, mentioned with Logan Cole Caulfield, Cooley's right? Not- so he, yeah, but like Logan Cooley is not much taller than him, like an yeah. inch, inch and a half. And it's funny that like the, the center winger five, dilemma, five, right? Five ten, mm-hmm. five ten and a half feels so much bigger. You know yeah. what I mean? You're just like, ah, oh, he's a little bit closer to six foot. Like I don't know. It's just interesting to me. But so that that was kind of the thing um, that I really I really thought was interesting is just watching the way that the progression has gone. And you know, I know we want to talk about like season stuff. So like I heard. You know, I saw, you know, Jamie Dreesdale put up uh, 28 assists this year, which was fifth amongst all rookies. And, you know, second among defensemen behind Moritz Seider. Yep. Um, and that's that's nothing to sneeze at. That's significant, right? Especially for someone who had different times this year, looked like he was still finding his footing and, and figuring out the game at the NHL level. And then, you know, you've got all the clips of McTavish where, 
I mean, that kid just looks like he's going to fill the back of the net. Like, are you know what I mean? Like, he's just got he's got everything when it comes to goal scoring that you're looking for. He's got a heavy shot. He's got a quick release. He's got a mean one timer. You know what I mean? He can put it in the corner. He can blast it right past you. Like he just looks like he's going to be a very real goal scorer at the NHL level based on, you know, his size now and and the way that um, his skill looks like it should develop and project. But I just think, you know, uh, uh, I'm going to shut up in a second. I'm sorry. But I think just looking at the totality of everything, it, it creates a very interesting context and a very interesting picture of kind of where this team is at. And then, you know, we've kind of all been talking about for, I don't know, four or five months now, and all meaning Ducks fans and media and all sorts of people about how big of a summer this is going to be in Anaheim. And I just think the full picture of the context is pretty fascinating as far as what it kind of paints a picture of in Anaheim. Yeah, I, I think the benefit for the Ducks this year, uh, again, is having that second first-round pick. Uh, we've talked about this on, on some past podcasts where, you know, you should, no matter what, and I think the consensus from a lot of people is with whatever your highest pick is, you should take the best player available no matter, you know, what positional need you, uh, you have. Um, mm-hmm. But having that second first-round pick, I think, allows you to do that and, and comfortably do that, right? So if you're Anaheim and you get to 10, and you've got to pick between, you know, Brad Lambert, you know, Kevin Krachinski, Pavel uh, Mintuyakov, whoever. If you know you're you're deci- you're not deciding them between a winger, a center, or a defenseman. You're just taking whoever's best on your board, and then you can get to whatever that pick is going to be. With you know, Carolina won tonight, so they're up three two in that series. So you know, if you're cheering for a higher pick, a higher second first round pick, then uh, hope that Carolina wins in Game Six or, or Game Seven and and knocks Boston out because that pick will be. I think likely around 20 to 24 just kind of depends on who gets eliminated uh, in the first round here, but the higher it is, the better. So you think, okay, you take Brad Lambert or whoever afford with that pick at, at 10, the options for defense around 20 to 25, there's a lot more names available, right? There's a lot more guys. It's a little bit defense heavy when you get to the end of the first round, early second, which seems to be the trend for a lot of drafts that are kind of top heavy with forwards. The defensemen start kind of peeking in around 20 to 30 to 35, which seems to be the case this year. But if you're Anaheim, I think no matter what attend, take whoever's on your list. Like I, I you know, they've, it seems that Juracek and Nemec are the top two defensemen in this draft. More than likely, they're going to both go before 10 because there are going to be some teams who want a defenseman and take them. We've talked about New Jersey and a few others that could want a defenseman. You know, Columbus, I think, is another one who could look at uh, either Nemec or Juracek, and we know that uh, Yarmo Kekalainen likes to draft uh, guys out of Europe, so that could uh, that could be where one of those guys go. But if you know, when you look at the other defensemen available, we you know, talked about a few of them already, Denton, Matichek, uh, Pavel Mintuyakov and uh, Kevin Kuczynski. If you're Anaheim, if those guys are top of your list at 10, take them. Like if that's who you think is the best player available, take them there and then take the forward at, you know, wherever Boston's pick lands. If you think Brad Lambert or Frank Nazar is the best player available to you at 10, take him and either take the defenseman with that uh, second first or go with your second round pick and take a defenseman. I think you have the, the freedom to kind of mix that up. Uh, with those second, uh, those next two picks that you have, and you know, maybe you move around, maybe you trade up to get a guy that you want. Uh, with that pick not being, you know, late, late in the first round, that Boston pick, presumably if they lose in round one, maybe you package that second 
with the Boston pick and move up in the, you know, kind of 14, 15, 16 range and take that defenseman, one of those guys who've kind of fallen a little bit before there's a run, and you get, you know, one of the top four or five defensemen in this draft and you get the forward you really want at 10. So they, they do have a ton of options, and it will be interesting to see uh, the route that they've gone. But I do feel like in these last three drafts, despite, it, you know, some being forward heavy, some being defenseman heavy, I think the Ducks have taken, you know, the top guy on their board no matter what. You know, Zegras obviously falling to nine. That was a gift for the Ducks, and he was the best player available uh, at that point. I think when you look at some of the comments after the Drysdale draft, it was, you know, the top guys on their board at that pick were Sanderson and Drysdale, and Sanderson went the pick before, and the Ducks took Drysdale because he was the top guy on their list above all the other fours that were there. And then at three, you know, with McTavish getting taken where he was, you know, we, we don't get to see the list, but you can – you can kind of safely assume that he was their top guy there. Like, they wanted him. They reached above probably where they could have gotten him to take him at that third spot. So I'm confident that they'll go into it and, and take the best guy available. And, it, you know, it's it's not number one overall. It's not number two overall. But I, I do think they sit in kind of a nice spot where if anybody does fall, you know, you always expect a few teams, maybe the Red Wings with Eisenman, they reach for somebody. Columbus reaches because, you know, those are two teams that notoriously kind of take whoever they want with that first round mm-hmm. pick. Just, you know, it doesn't matter who, whose rankings you're looking at. They could jump off the board from a guy who's ranked 20th into the top five um, where you get some of these guys like Juracek or others who could fall because of some of the injury issues or play issues that they've had this year. So I think the Ducks sit in, in a good spot. You know, the Sabres at nine as well uh, and San Jose at 11 where you can kind of scoop up these guys that have fallen. And you know, like we already mentioned, we saw that with the, with Zegers going to nine, a few years ago so it is it is a good spot to be in uh despite not winning the lottery yeah i you know <clears throat> i can't believe this is the thing that i'm gonna say but i'm really fascinated by the prospect of of what ha- let me say it this way i'm really curious to see what happens with brad lambert yeah. i think for me he's gonna kind of be the skeleton key um for this draft because you know, again, like I said, I was just looking at Bronman's things, and he was saying that, like, he's, like, an end percentile athlete. Like, he's just an incredible athlete. And, you know, we've heard the last year, year and a half, about the amount of skill that he has and his ability to impact the games. And it just sounds like he just had focus or motivation or, like, engagement issues. And, you know, if if... If it's something like that is the only reason he's falling, um, you know, sorry, let me say it this way. If that is the reason he didn't have a great year this year, right, because he had a very poor year this year, a lot of people, like, you know, were looking at him maybe even being like a late teens guy just mm-hmm. because of how poorly he looked at times. Um, but if if he's a guy that the only real issue with him is that kind of mental emotional you know part of it like it's a really fascinating thing to me because that's something you can work with right like you know especially on a young kid that's something you get him into the room you get him around your guys you you make sure that he's got the kind of influences around him that are going to allow him to kind of develop mentally and mature emotionally and things like that and, and and stay engaged but at the same time like if those are issues now there's no re- 
there's nothing to say they couldn't continue to be issues forward, right? And then you start to get into that kind of yep. mercurial goal scorer or, you know, I mean, even uh, someone like Patrick Laine, who I, I say this with all the respect in the world, is, seems like a really moody player. Um, you know, it, he really didn't like at the end in his time in Winnipeg, he didn't like that he wasn't playing with Shifley. Um, and that was a big part of why he kind of wanted out. And, you know, it's hard to know what to do with guys like that, especially when the skill level is so high. Because if you think it's something you can wreck, if you, if you think you have the, the institutional support to, to address that, then I think it's huge that a guy like Lambert, who, you know, probably has top five, maybe even top three upside mm-hmm. in this draft, if he's available at 10, like, that's huge. Yeah. At, at one point, when you're looking at, you know, two, three years ago when you were projecting this draft, people, look, you know, taking a real long look ahead, it was Bright and Lambert. And Lambert was a guy that people thought could push Shane Wright for the number one spot. And, you know, Wright had his own kind of shortcomings early on in this season and then missing the entire uh, season last year because of COVID. Like, he had his own reasons where people thought he might not be the number one pick for whatever reason. Uh, and then Lambert's has has had his struggles playing in a significantly harder league. He's playing, you know, top division in Finland. It's it's significantly harder than the the Ontario Hockey League where Shane Wright plays. But the the production I, it has been the big sticking point for a lot of people. Is you know I, anything you read on Brad Lambert is he's got you know you don't want to say generational skill and playmaking and and skating ability, but there are a lot of scouts who say like he is the best skater and puck handler they've seen in the last decade. You know, that's including watching, you know, McDavid and others play at, at that same age. Like he, his playmaking is, you know, his puck handling and, and his skating are at that level. The problem is there's some worry about, like you said, the mental side of the game, whether his hockey sense is up to, up to par with some of these other guys that when he gets to harder leagues, like he's playing in now and gets to the NHL level, you know that that skill will only take you so far if you can't adjust it to a higher level of competition. And and his struggles with two teams in Finland this year, because he ended up switching to a different team, have been concerning for a lot of people. And that's why he's fallen to kind of the eight, nine, ten, eleven range. But that skill level that he brings still puts him in that conversation, right? Where if you're a team who's going to take him, you you've had to have watched him probably more than anybody this year. You know, you've had to have a good eye on him that you know that whatever problems he has, that you're confident that you know he can he can get over them when he gets to the NHL level, or you can help him kind of work through those issues. And I, I still don't know, you know, if he can be that guy. But if I'm Anaheim and he's available at ten, it's very very enticing player to take when you think of a guy at one point who could have fought or people thought could have fought Shane Wright for for number one overall, right? It's that boomer bust type pick. Uh, but you only take this guy, I think, if you've seen him a lot this year with both teams that he was on at the World Juniors, at every competition he's been at, to know what you're getting. You know, you don't take that shot unless you've, you know, you've been able to watch this guy a lot. Because there are a lot of other guys who are going to be available at 10 who've had really good years, who've risen up the the rankings instead of fallen, who've shown that they're better than people initially thought they were. You look at guys like. Jonathan Lecker and Maki, who was a late first round pick at the beginning of the year, and now, you know, he's jumped up to potentially going into the top ten because he's played well in Sweden. 
he led the under 18 world junior championships in scoring he had like 15 points in six games or something ridiculous like that he had four points against the u.s in the gold medal game so guys like that are rising defensemen like kevin krachinski has risen up from you know basically obscurity into a, a potential top 15 pick so you're gonna have those guys who've risen up the rankings frank nazar who we've already talked about if you can get over his size, then he's a guy that has risen up the rankings this year as well. And some people have him in their top five. So it, it, it's a tough decision to go into. Like, do you take the guy who was projected to be this great player who's fallen, or do you take the guy who's risen up, right? And, and ultimately, it all comes down to you know, your confidence in, in which guy is the best player at that point and how many times you've watched them. And when we look at who the Ducks have taken, not just with their, their first picks, but even guys like Zellweger and Pastuov and some of the, the gems, if you want to call it that, that they've got. And I, you know, I have the confidence in the scouting staff and Verbeek and everybody there to, to take the best player available and have the confidence uh, that if they take a Lambert, that, that he can become that guy. But it's a real interesting draft to go into. Like when you in the position where you are last year at three and at six, like there's always only like a handful of guys you could really take, right? It's, you know, there, there's a tier of five guys in the top five or, you know, six or seven guys within that range that you can get. Like when, when we went into that draft, we knew Drysdale was potentially one of the guys they were going to get at that spot. And, you know, I know McTavish was a reach, but he was still a guy that we were talking about, you know, one of five guys who they could take here. There's a big list when you get down to 10 of, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 guys that you could take at that spot. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, whether you take a reach or, or you, you know, a guy falls down or, everything kind of comes together on draft day essentially is you know who's falling who's the number one guy on our list do we want to take a reach for this guy so it's it's a different different spot to be in but not unfamiliar because like we said we were there with the zegers draft and he ended up falling to us and that was a no-brainer pick so it'll be it'll be a fun one to watch yeah absolutely i mean i'm pretty sure like uh cam was like 10th or something like that he was in that kind of range yeah. um you know, so you said a couple of things that I think are really interesting, and I want to kind of get to. I think the first thing worth saying is like uh, when we talk about the kind of engagement part of it, right, or the the stuff with Brad Lambert, right, the kind of nebulous, um, intangible type things, as far as what is kind of maybe holding him back. It's it's really interesting to me because one, I think this highlights how important um, the pre-draft interview process can be. I don't want to say is because I am sure there are more, excuse me, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm sure there are more than a few teams that waste the opportunity by asking stupid ass questions. And, you know, you hear, (laughs) yeah, there's some, there's some bad ones. They ask guys at the NFL, at the NFL, the draft and the combine and stuff like that. So, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, but it can provide a very interesting and unique opportunity to talk to these kids about some of what the issues are, right? Like, why do you think you struggle? What do you think this is? What do you want to do? You know, all that NHL 22 crap. Um, but I also think this is where things like compete, which at times are words people don't like, come into play. And when you look at somebody like Frank Nazar and you contrast Lambert with Frank Nazar, um, Nazar is undersized, but you know he doesn't seem to have a problem competing either on the boards or in the center of the ice and going into the center to you know improve his shooting angle, being around the goalie, things like that. I was watching a little highlight package of him. I think uh, when the central scouting ones dropped, 
because um, what's her name? I think it's Lauren. Uh, it doesn't matter. I'll tweet it out. But uh, she was just talking about how much she likes Frank Nazar, and she thought it was pretty ridiculous that he wasn't. So I, you know, I looked him up, and you see it, man. He's got that kind of sense and that kind of skill to to be in the right place. But he also doesn't seem to to shy away from kind of the oppor- the opportunities that require him to be physical or to take some punishment, right? That take a hit to make a play kind of thing. Um, and and I just think it's a really interesting way to kind of contrast Lambert and Nazar, right? Where on paper, Lambert is the ace. And maybe on tape, Nazar is the guy who actually stands out because he's just got that high motor. He's got that high level of compete. Uh, you know, and so I just think that's that's an interesting thing to talk about. And, and it, it, it provides a example of why these kinds of concepts, um, as, as again, as nebulous as, as they can seem, why they do actually matter. Because at the end of the day, when you draft someone, you're drafting a human being, human beings, emotional, irrational, like all the different things. And so you need to know who you're dealing with. And it doesn't matter if, you know, you have all the talent in the world is if behind the scenes, you're not able to kind of put that together and to do what you need to do to be successful, especially at the pro level. Um, I'll tell you right now, uh, knowing that Eakins is going to be around for another year. I would not have a problem with Brad bringing Brad Lambert in, even if it was just for that rookie camp. Because as I've said before, I think as far as a cultural, uh, a cultural um, tone setter, I think Eakins is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do think he asked these kids to be the best versions of themselves on and off the ice. And I think when you have a guy like Lambert who has all the skill, Eakins can walk over and be like, do you want to be as good as you can be? Cause clearly you can beat most of these fucking guys. You just have to want to do that. So if you want it, we're here to help you. But if you don't want it, that's on you. Um, you know, so I, I just think that's really, it, it provides a really interesting kind of turning point, I guess, for the franchise. And, you know, as much as it was a whole fucking joke this year, like I think if Brad Lambert's there at 10, I, unless there is somebody else like, you know, unless you're a chick or Nemec falls that far out of nowhere. Yeah. I don't know that I would be all that enticed to take somebody else because just a pure upside, right? Yeah. The upside is there. And, and at this point, right, you've got what looks like three of your top six forwards for the next 10 years on the thing already. You've got a guy who looks like he can be a top pairing defenseman. Um, you've got Olin Zellweger, you got past you off. Like you've got, all these little pieces you've even got uh was it Sean Chagrill you know who, mm-hmm. who kind of shows you that those depths those depth players right Lapina who just signed uh Colangelo. in the AHL Colangelo exactly so I think you're in a very unique position to take a home run swing at 10 that you know maybe you wouldn't have thought would be the opportunity you had going into the year yeah yeah I'm, I'm at the same point like unless a guy the, the one guy I could see falling that I would say, okay, I'll take him over Brad Lambert is, is Juracek just because of the knee injury. I, I still think there's a team that's smart enough that they'll take him within the first nine picks, especially a team that needs a defenseman. Like Nemec might go above him because of the injury and might be the first defenseman off the board. But I, I, I just highly doubt eight of the first nine picks are, or eight or nine of the first ten picks are there's only one defenseman taken. Um, yeah, I, that would be so funny. It'd be insane. I, I like. I just. Yeah. I. I 
I'm, I'm you know kind of rattling through my brain of the teams that that are going to be picky in that spot and, and you know nobody really screams needing a defenseman but again it's just the best player on your list um but yeah he's the one guy i could see falling. i mean are we sure philadelphia isn't that and that's i mean i guess they need everything they need everything and 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 they could definitely take him like i I think Nem- I do think Nemec ends up being the number one defenseman off the board. I think when all is said and done, I think the best defenseman in this draft is, is David Juracek, but that knee injury is, is going to cause some issues. And the fact that he didn't get to play the second half of the season, that's gonna that, that always presents problems for some teams. Um, so I don't see him being the first defenseman off the board. But there's a chance, because like, so, there's a lot of risers among defensemen. Like we talked about Kraczynski, and uh, I, I always mess up this Russian name, uh, Mintuyakov. They've had excellent seasons and excellent second halves to their season. So these are guys that like maybe a team reaches and takes one of them instead of year check and he falls down. So that's why I say like being in this spot at 10 where like if you're Buffalo, you probably take a forward, right? You have power in Darlene. Like maybe you take a forward if you're there even at nine and then he falls down. So, you know, long story short, he's, he's my guy above some of the other guys that if he does fall, I would take him. But when we're looking at, you know, Lambert versus Nassar, uh, like your Mackey, Connor Geeky, those types of forwards that would be available at that, that 10 spot. You know, despite the boom or bust kind of tag that Brad Lambert comes with at that point, I, I would still take him. I would still take him. You, you take that home run swing. He's got the skill to be a top three player in this draft. It's just the production hasn't been there, and you've had to have watched this guy enough to figure out, you know, whether you can – you can get that out of him. You're going to unlock that at the NHL level. And the one thing I do like about Lambert over, you know, Nazar and a few of the other CHL guys and, and, you know, NCAA bound guys is that you could bring him over next year. If you wanted Mm -hmm. to, if you felt like that was the next step, this guy's played in Finland in the top league. So the AHL isn't really a major difference to him. It's smaller ice for sure. But in terms of the the level of competition, you know, there's an argument you could say it's either the same, if not worse, than the top league in Finland, right? It's it's at least on par, so it's not like he's facing tougher competition. And this is a guy who's skilled enough that the smaller ice, and he's played in Canada, I think, for one season, he's, and he's played on smaller ice before, so it's not going to be a surprise like we we talk about some of some of the other players who come over from Europe to, to adjust to smaller ice, and and that's going to take a couple seasons. He's at least used to it, and he's been on it before. So I, I like the trajectory there in the sense that listen, we can bring this guy over next year, and if he adjusts mm-hmm. quicker than we think, he could be a guy who's ready in one or two seasons versus waiting two or three for a guy in the CHL or waiting two or three for a guy to go through his first couple of years in the NCAA, right? Like you've got maybe a bit of a quicker timeline for a guy like this, if everything works out. Um, so I, I, I like that a lot about Lambert. So, you know, barring a fall for, for Juracek, uh into 10, if Lambert's there, uh, he's, he's the guy taken. I think the ducks are in, uh, in the best spot to, you know, of, of a lot of the teams that are drafting in that area to take a home run swing, you know, Buffalo needs some, some concrete forward prospects, guys who project a little bit safer than, a, than Lambert mm-hmm. right now with where they are in the rebuild. We talk about Philadelphia needing something like they, they need somebody who is a bit more of a safer prospect, a guy who projects to at least be an impactful player and doesn't have a headlining issue like Lambert does. So you could see maybe Philly reaching for a guy like Nazar, you know, in the top half of the draft, the New Jersey's, the Montreal's, you, know, you kind of know who they're going to take. 
at that point. So I think it really does come down to, you know, Detroit, Columbus, in those, I think the five, six, seven range, those teams and what they do. Uh, mm-hmm. But if he if he makes it past that, and we're talking about uh, I don't even know who's at eight, but you know whoever's at eight, and then Buffalo at nine, I think there's a good chance he falls down to Anaheim. And eight is Detroit. We're we're potentially looking back at uh, at this draft the same way we looked at the Zegers draft, and man, how did this guy fall uh, to mm-hmm. us at ten? Right. So I'm I'm hoping for that. I, w- I would have liked to maybe sneak one place up and be in ninth again and and have a little bit of a better chance, but. <laughs> Uh, we we got to hope to escape the, the Yeiser plan again and and, uh, yeah. and hope he falls down to us. The other thing that's really interesting, I think, about this draft, especially considering, again, you know, like we've talked about, the fact that there isn't um, – th- this doesn't seem to be a draft that everyone is uh, considers an incredibly loaded draft at the top. Usually what that means is there's more guys who are, like, going to be pretty darn good, but not necessarily the guys who project the stars and, you know, whatever. Yeah. They're stars for a reason. They're rare. But the thing about this draft, I think, mixed with that fact of kind of how muddled, like, you know, between 8 and 15 is and then, you know, like 2 or 3 to 6 or 7, right, that range, Arizona has 7 picks in the top 45. Buffalo has 3 first-round picks. Uh, Arizona has 3 first-round picks. Um, The Ducks have 2, and Columbus has 2. Yep. And I, I tweeted this out when we got the thing. I think of anybody, Columbus came out the best here because the Blackhawks pick stays with them. So yeah. now they've got picks at 6 and 12. If they moved up and one spot, me, they would have had to give that away potentially, right? Because it was top mm-hmm. five protected, I think. So It was lottery protected if it okay. won in the lottery, okay. I think. Um, and, you know, I, I think they're in an interesting position where on six, they can take a pick like we were talking about with Philly, right? Where you take a guy who he has that impact level ceiling, but maybe the floor is a little bit higher. And then if he's there at 12 with your second pick, which is foul money, I, I think that's where Brad Lambert makes a ton of sense, right? You now you bring him into a team that already has Kent Johnson. It's already got um, uh, Wallstrom. And, you know what I mean? They, they, they've got Line A and Frozlovich and all these young players uh, Bjorkstrand, that I, I think could work really well. But, you know, again, Anaheim at 10, like, it, it's such a fascinating spot to be because everybody right around them, right? It goes Ottawa, Detroit, Buffalo, Anaheim, San Jose, Columbus, Islanders. That's a weird run of seven teams. Yep. They're kind of all in different places. They just fired their trots. You know what I mean? So I don't think that Lou is is going to be particularly patient. Um, you know, I wonder if any of the teams like, you know, like Arizona tries to trade up with some of those surplus picks to get back into the top 10 maybe, right? Um, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's just going to be very interesting, and I think there will be a lot of possibilities for teams to kind of wheel and deal in that, 10 to 20 range and, and yep. see if somebody can get kind of creative. Yep. I, I, I have a, a thought on how the top three is going to go. I think obviously Shane Red's going to go number one. I think New Jersey t- does not take Cooley. I think they go either wing or defense. Maybe, maybe they take damage. Maybe they take gear check. I think that might, that makes the most sense for them or they take Slavkovsky. Like we said, a big winger that does kind of comp 
is a bit different than what they have in, in some of the smaller, if you want to call it that, guys like Holtz and Hughes and, and Hitcher. So I could see them doing that. I think then Arizona probably takes Cooley at three. They, you know, they get their franchise center, if you want to call it that, until Austin Matthews eventually makes his way to uh, to Arizona. Seattle is the, the wild card again, right, in in the sense that they just they just take whatever is the best player that they think at that spot. They've got Matty Benier, so they got the number one center. But outside of Shane Wright and Cooley, there isn't really a center who jumps off the board. So I think they just take whoever whoever's the best. Maybe they go defenseman. Maybe they take you know Nemec or Yurichek to have that defenseman. So they'll be kind of the first wild card, I would imagine, at this spot. Philly, again, um, I think they, they, they could surprise some people. But I, I, I don't think they take somebody like Lambert. I think they take somebody with a higher, flo- uh, higher floor so that they get a bit if- of a safer pick. Because I don't think they're He's, they're far away. I, I don't think Philly thinks they're that they need a big rebuild because they've got guys like Hart and York and Frost and and a few others that are there. I think they they take a guy who's a bit of a quicker turnaround than than somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure Philly already came out and said they would be open to moving their pick. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, because again, Sean Couturier is 30. They've got Ryan Ellis is on the other side of 30. Like, uh, they've got Travis Konecki, who I think is already like 25. Like, uh. You know, that that team is in a really weird spot. They just signed Ristolainen to an extension. Like, there, there's all these weird things. Um, yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's a, good, that's a good one. I think if any pick is moved, it's probably that one. If 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 he's there and they don't have a better offer, I have a very hard time thinking Philadelphia doesn't go out and take uh, Slavkowski. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just think he fits what they want there to a T. And the skill... Um, and the goal scoring ability is enough that I think it would be um, really promising. And they might feel that because he is so, so big already that he could come in sooner than later. And maybe his, his, um, what do you call it? His, uh, his window to getting to the NHL is a little shorter than some of the other guys. Yeah. Yeah. I like you know, that one. So it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I think, you know, I'm sure we're going to try to sit down with, a couple of people between now and the draft. We've got two months, which is insane that there's two months between the lottery and the draft. Yeah, um, a lot, we're a lot of, time of time for speculation. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have a lot of time to get into trouble just making shit up about these teams yeah. and these players. So it'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think it does get interesting at six and eight. I think that's where you know Columbus and Detroit is where where it gets interesting. Where you know, they could surprise us as they do almost every year. We remember Cider and. Chinakov for for Columbus, so they always find a way to, to surprise. But you know Ottawa again. I think they take defensemen if they if they can. Uh, they got a ton of forwards and and then Buffalo. I think they they go the forward route. So so it'll be interesting. The Ducks are like we said. We said it multiple times already. They're in an interesting spot where you know depending on what some teams do above them, they could have some interesting players fall to them uh, and and really make a make a pretty big swing at number ten. So they're they're in a good spot. Yeah, I mean, they, t- they pick 10, 23, 42, and 53. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that Boston pick is going to be really interesting as far as, you know, where it falls. Because, I you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Boston goes on a run. I don't think there's any reason to think they couldn't at least make the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I just I have a very hard time betting against that team. I just think they're too good. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't. I can't wrong. see Carolina losing two in a row. That's the thing. They're up three two in that series. I cannot see them. They're gonna lose. You they're think? gonna do it. Yeah, you think so? I have Boston. I picked Boston in that series. I I I, I can't remember. I don't who I trust. I think I don't I trust Boston. their goaltending at all. Carolina. I don't trust Boston's goaltending either. I mean, Freddie hasn't even played for Carolina. It's been anti Ranta. 
Um, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know how much more I trust uh, Ranta and Anderson than Swayman and Olmark. So I don't uh, I don't know how much I trust either of those. But uh, I can't remember who I picked. I think I ended up picking Carolina, but I think it was in like six or seven. It was close. Yeah. Yeah, um, it, it, it's a weird spot. Quick but, question to wrap up the draft stuff. Dave Dave asked a question in the chat. He said, uh, off the wall question because no one is asking these questions. What percentage you give uh, of the Ducks trading the two number ones to move up the board? And if so, do they move up to take if they can't get – who do they move up to take if they can't get number one? So would you see the Ducks moving 10 and 23 to move up? Let's, let's say Philadelphia at five. Yeah, I, 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 I think – I would say I would almost think it would be more likely that it would be 10 and a player. Could um, see that, yeah. For Philly, you know what I mean? Someone like Henrique, um, if they can fit the cap or something like that. Comtois. Yeah, something, exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, 10 and Comtois for five isn't a bad trade. I, I don't think that's a terrible trade because at five, you're probably going to get somebody um, who's going to hit the league pretty quick. And Comtois still has a lot of value. And, you know, uh, he he's got another year under contract he's an rfa he still fits on their timeline but he's obviously already in the league so if they bounce back like they're hoping to then you know he gives them a great one yep yeah so um, that's the only one i could see um is is philly is philly trading that pick i like I, I don't see columbus ottawa detroit buffalo seattle arizona new jersey or obviously montreal moving any of their picks in the top 10 so i think philly is going to be the one that a lot of teams are going to be calling on and the Ducks do have an interesting offer of, of being 10 and 23 if they wanted to move mm-hmm. two picks to move up to get a guy. If there's a guy they really like, you know, we've mentioned all the names already, uh, so I'll, I'll refrain from doing that again. But if there's a guy available at five and he doesn't go at number four, you know, you, you get on the phone right there on draft day with Philadelphia and say, hey, listen, like we've got 10, 23 available. You want to move down? And, uh, and, and Philly's a team I could see doing it. So, um, whether it happens, I don't know. I don't think it's out of the question. You know, who did they move up to take at that point? I don't know. Like any, you know, from from three to seven or three to eight, I think it it's kind of you know muddied water. I think it's it's really who you like the most at that point. If the Ducks believe, you know, let's throw a name in there, Jiracek is the number two player in this draft, and he's there at five, and they can't believe mm-hmm. he's there at five. Yeah, maybe you make that trade, right? Like if he's significantly mm-hmm. better than who you have at number, you know, right after him on your board, then move up and take him. Or if you know all your other guys in your top four have already been taken except him, and that Philly's willing to do that deal, then move up and get him, right? I, I think they're in a good position to do so. And like you said, you know, whether it's Lindstrom or Comtois or another player or something that you want to instead of that mm-hmm. other late first to help a team like Philly who still thinks they can win now. Um, I think you consider it at least. Uh, it just depends on how much you like that guy who's there at five versus who you could get at ten, and and is that is that trade worth that difference? And it all mm-hmm. depends. We we won't know that list until it happens. Yeah, and I think you know, just as a note, like I think, um, like I said, or like we said, over the next two months, we're you know we have plenty of time to kill. So I think uh, once we start to get closer to some of these mock drafts being a little bit more finalized as, uh, you know, prospect or beat writers or a little bit of both or however you want to look at it, start to uh, really kind of identify what the team is that, you know, they cover is looking for and all that kind of stuff, you know, we'll probably go through and do, you know, some kind of just like dumb, crazy ideas thing for the first two rounds or something like that as far as trading up to get somebody trading down to get somebody 
um, you know, and and based on some of the 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 mock drafts, we'll have a better idea of who may or may not be um, in certain areas. Because like I know the one thing with Pronman is he does a mock draft every year that is both he does one mock draft that's his order, and he does another one that's based on what he's been hearing yeah. about what teams are looking for. Um, and so I think that's always a really interesting interesting uh two to kind of compare to each other um but yeah so i you know i think again like this is gonna sound like i'm being an ass because it's me but i'm really not trying to be like i wonder like you know with this summer the way it is is gibby or fowler someone who can get them another top 10 pick top 15 pick Mm. you know what i mean like i don't know would the islanders trade you know the 13th pick for cam fowler you know what i mean i i don't know you've got nashville but they're in a weird spot dallas is in a weird spot like it it's such an odd year the way everything is has panned out as far as who is and isn't good this year and how likely they are to be good again next year yeah it, um, it's it's gonna be a tough one i think the, mo- the most likely one we've talked about a little bit is, is john gibson potentially getting traded there's I don't want to say writing on the wall, but with his disappointment, another losing season, the Ducks, you know, trading for a young goaltending prospect, signing that uh, Cali Clank to an entry-level contract, Lucas Dostal having a pretty good year again, Anthony Stolar is proving that he can be uh, a very good backup at the NHL level. You you know, you, you, you get the sense that if it was ever going to happen, was ever going to happen that now is the time it probably would happen this off season. Mm-hmm. You know, some rumblings around the trade deadline that his name could be out there. We get that every year. Um, you know, again, you know, beginning of the season, people saying that uh, you know Buffalo, I think it was, and a few other teams were were calling on John mm-hmm. Gibson, but the Ducks weren't in a position to trade him. So it does feel like if it's ever going to happen, um, it would be this off season. But yeah, I, you know that that's an interesting. When we talked, we talked Toronto kind of jokingly. If they were to crash out of the first round, I know they won game five tonight and they're up 3-2. But the way Jack Campbell's looked in these playoffs, I know it's Tampa Bay, but it hasn't been great. Um, so if they were to crash out of the first round, they would could be a team who would look at John Gibson. Um, you know, There's a lot of other teams that, that could be interested. In, you, know, uh, you know, Dave puts in here New Jersey potentially as a team that could use a, a goaltender uh, if they don't believe Blackwood is the guy to do it or any of the young prospects, Nico Dawes and some of the other guys that they have. So I think there, there, there's some options in the off season. Um, and uh, we, we will get to that. I want to get to that, but we, we got, if we're going to do off season preview, we got to, we got to do a quick off season recap uh, or not off season recap, season recap and look at some of the stuff we missed. Um, we briefly mentioned the way the ducks finished the season six in the Pacific division. Not a great end to the year. Great start to the year. A lot of optimism. The Ducks could potentially squeak in a playoff spot or be better. Ultimately, they finish in a better position than they did the year prior. You know, finishing 10th last instead of, what was it, third last last year. So it is positionally better uh, in a weaker Pacific division. But what are your thoughts? Like, all in all, I think there was some, some progress made this year, I think. You know, the players we wanted to see step up and take key roles on this team, specifically Zegris and Terry, even maybe even took more of a jump than we expected, right? Both getting over 60 points this year. Troy Terry getting very close to 40 goals, not something you would have thought we would have been saying at the end of the year. I, I think, you know, things went in the right direction. 
Um, and there's a lot of positives to draw back on, but ultimately it's another season without the playoffs, a bottom 10 finish uh, in the league, one of the worst teams in the Pacific Division, barring the expansion team that, that came in to our division. So it is um, it is tough, but I think there are some positives that we can, we can kind of draw on. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think for me, the team finished higher in the standings than I expected to. I fully expected this to be a bottom three or four team. I didn't think, um, you know, that they were going to get some of the production from some of the players that they didn't. And the reason that they did is because they had a, a couple of young players take big steps forward. Um, you know, Troy Terry took a humongous, bed, 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 humongous. a humongous, <laughs> a humongous leap forward. Uh, Zegers showed all of the, the skill and creativity and, you know, energy right that you you want to see from a player like that and what you're hoping he can be you know and again Dreesdale had a nice year he looked good at times he you know he still clearly is learning how to be a undersized defenseman at the NHL where everybody's bigger and stronger and faster um but again we saw all the stuff we wanted to see out of him as far as him leveraging his skating to try to mitigate um any issues that he had based on size disadvantage and it, you know he, he did a lot of that again Lundestrom popped for what was it 14 15 goals this year um uh, 16 16 goals. 16 goals and, and uh 13 assists yeah. yeah you know uh but I'm looking at it here it's 16 goals and eight primary assists you know I, I don't know that that's something anybody thought he would be putting up at this point in his career I feel a lot of us would have expected that to be more of a 25 20 team around is stronger and you know maybe he's taking advantages of opportunities a little down the lineup um but you know and, and you know his shooting percentage was unsustainable like i don't think he's shooting a 20 percent goal score but yeah. it doesn't matter he still scored 16 goals and he showed that the way that he was scoring those goals seemed somewhat sustainable a lot of it was on the rush a lot of it was uh you know on the penalty kill making moves and just trying to get to the front of the net you know, that's stuff you want to see. I think you can look at Milano as being a huge and pleasant surprise this year. I think you can look at, you know, uh, Sam Steele and Max Comtois and be a little frustrated. I don't I don't want to say discouraged. I don't think that's necessarily fair to them. Uh, but, I, you know, I think there's things there that are still question marks, right? Why? Did Comtois fall back? Why hasn't Steele looked like he's really improved too much? Um, and, you know, they got they got guys out of there. They brought in good prospects. Like, all in all, I, there was a lot about this year to like. And I don't know, I, again, like, I don't know how much of that is just, like, I expected them to be absolute dog shit. Yeah. Like, I was so prepared for them to be absolute garbage. And they weren't, you know what I mean? Like, they weren't great. They weren't even really good per se based on you know record and finish and point totals and stuff like that like you know but they're a middle third team at 10 that's not bad yeah yeah it, you it, know it's I, it, you're you, all right with that you, you've made some steps forward and the negatives are i think heavily outweighed by the positives that we saw this year in, in terms of the progression like we said of guys like zegris and terry and milano and even drysdale again i it was it, wasn't the best season from him, but 32 points in 81 games as a rookie defenseman isn't bad. Like you said, second in 
in assists by rookie defenseman behind only more Sider, who's up for the the Calder Trophy this year, right? So it who's is going to win the Calder Trophy. Yeah, probably. Yeah, unfortunately, but it um, good season for them, Lindstrom, like you had said. And if the the real negatives, if they're Sam Steele and, and Max Comtois not, you know, Comtois not uh, doing what he did last year, and Sam Steele not taking the same step forward that we saw from some of these other guys then, you know, I, I think we'll take the positives and run with it. The fact, you know, Troy Terry could be a, a perennial 30-goal scorer and Trevor Zegras in his first full rookie season put up 61 points in 75 games. If he can continue to improve on that and be a, you know, a 60- to 70-point guy for the rest of his career, that's that's great. If he can, you know, even improve on that and become, you know, a 70, 80, you know, close to a point-per-game player, we're talking to upper echelon of, of superstars in this league that are be able, are able to do that on a consistent basis, right? Like to, I know the you know league scoring was at a, a an all time high this year, so there's a lot of guys that that had some great years. But when we talk about players who can consistently put up 80 points, 82 points in in, in a full 82 game season, there's not too many of those guys in this league that can do that, right? And if Zegers can get into that company, and he's showing he's on that. Um, that upward trajectory in that path right now that's a huge win for the ducks to get a guy like that at ninth overall and and the impact that he's had at such a young age and i i think you know you look back on the season and if if you take into consideration the assumptions we had about how it was going to go at the beginning of the year you have to be happy with how it ended and, and how it finished you know i know they looked great at one point and we we're sitting top of the pacific division with a lot of games played uh, more than than a lot of the other teams but there was some some optimism there that well while things are going a lot faster than we thought we would this this could be a playoff team this year so i know when a lot of people are looking back at how or looking at how this season finished there are there is some disappointment because of how think good things were going for the first half of the season and then it ultimately regressed to what we expected of it and, and it results in a good first half a bad second half and you get where they finish you get you know, a, a you know, middle of the pack team, a, you know, tenth tenth worst team in the league. So, I I, I do like how it went. I, I do like we saw what we wanted to see progression wise from a lot of these young players. I think the outlook for next season um, is a tough one to project because we saw a lot of guys go out the door this year. A lot of key players mm-hmm. in Lynn Tolman, Raquel Manson, and Getzlaff are all going to be gone. They were key contributors for the Ducks this year. Um, and you know, we saw what this team looked like after after a lot of them went out the door. So it's it's going to be tough to replace that next year when, you know, presumably it's Mason McTavish who's going to be the big addition to the forward group. Max Jones is mm-hmm. going to be back. Uh, maybe you pick up a few depth pieces in free agency. Uh, you know, again, you know, maybe you draft a, a Brad Lambert or somebody like that who could potentially step in. You've got Perot and others in the AHL who who could take steps forward, but it's going to be really really tough to have a better season next year than you did this year. But it, it, it's going to be a fun one, just, again, to to have those expectations, to see if Terry and Zegers can continue to improve on what they did, to see what Mason McTavish can, can do in his rookie season, to see how Perot and Tracy, maybe Zellweger and others get on and you know their pro, you know for some of them their first pro season for Perot and Tracy their their second and third kind of full pro seasons and and getting a few more games with the Ducks so there's a you know there's a, a real transition point I think that you can note from this season to next when we see a lot of these older pieces of the core now gone you know four real headlining names 
of the last decade for the Ducks and Getzlaff, Raquel, uh, Manson, and Lindholm. Right? You know, those are four of the marquee names of this team over the last five to six seasons that aren't going to be there next year. So there's a lot of room for guys to step up, which is something we haven't seen. We've we've talked about the logjam at certain positions where guys just can't get in. Well, that that's not really the case anymore. And <laughs> and whether you know whether some more of them go out the door at at the draft and in in the off season that uh, that only opens up the door for a lot more guys. So it, it might be a tough season next year in in terms of results, but I think we're going to see a lot of change, a lot of young guys step up and, and some more guys take some steps forward. So that's always exciting to be able to look forward to that. Yeah. I think something you said that I thought was interesting was you were talking about how we are seeing scoring go up, uh, as far as the, the high end, uh, player point totals, right? The offense, the elite offensive players, the production is scoring up, right? We saw Roman Yosef score hundred points. Uh, we saw Kale McCarr score like 20-something goals, I think, right? You've got Dreisaitl, McDavid. Um, I think Matt – no, I don't think Matthews. But, like, uh, I can't think off the top of my head. But, like, there's more than a few players that hit 100 points. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, Huberto hit 100 points. Like, there's there's a lot there. And and I think because, because you can see the uh, – the, the high-end offensive players are able to put up larger numbers. I think that's actually encouraging for a player like Terry, right? Where the big question, right, heading into next year is going to be, okay, how much of that was real? And how much of it was, you know, the fact that you did shoot 20%. Now, I think there are a lot of reasons to think it's sustainable. I think the way that he did it, I think we watched him struggle at different times as far as the production not being there. Even if the play was there, we saw the production wane which is always a big uh, hurdle for young offensive players. Um, you know, but I, I, I think the idea that, yeah, maybe he can be a 30 goal scorer and, you know, close to 70 points or 80 points, uh, you know, maybe he does get to 40, uh, you know, but even if he's only 30, 35 goals and, you know, 40, 45 assists, like that's still huge. That's not nothing at all. And then you look at some of the players coming in, you look at Zellweger who looks like an incredible and and, and dynamic offensive uh, talent. And you look at McTavish and the goal scoring ability. And then you've got Perot, you've got Pastyov, you know, you've got whoever the hell they get this year. Like there are a lot of reasons to think that the top of this lineup is going to be very strong um, uh, going forward. And next year will be about how much of that is real. Um, You know, what happens with Zegris, right? How does he react to now? Everybody knows he's coming. Yep. You know, there's not the first 35, 40 games or, you know, 30, 35 games where you're catching guys off guard just based on the fact that, you haven't done anything yet, right? Even though he was making good plays, he was putting up points, it's still, this could fall off at any time. He's a rookie. And I, I don't think that's unfair. Now it looks like it's real. Troy Terry, same thing. I don't, you know, I don't know how Troy Terry gets to 37 goals again next year, especially uh, when the player he had so much success with is, is retired. Then you're going to have Perot, right? Is probably going to at least get 15, 20 games next year. I have to imagine. Like, they're going to put him into the lineup, even if he doesn't stick, even if he doesn't seem quite ready. He's going to get shots to, to, you know, come up, especially if players get traded or injuries happen. Uh, Same thing with Tracy and Mahur and Benoit. Like, what are they going to, 
want to be? Like, can they be good bottom pair defenders? Because that's all you need them to be at this point. You need them to be good, capable bottom pair defenders. They don't need to be more than that. Anything above that is huge, and, and you take it every day. But I don't think the expectations for them now, especially, are, are going to be that high. Um, you know, I mean, there's like players that we haven't even talked about. Like, um, Dave just meant Limoges, and you've got, uh, I want to say Elvish, but what's the kid's name? Elvin, the kid that they picked up from Vegas? Uh, Elvinus, I think. Elvinus, yeah. Um, you know, there's going to be there's going to be more than a few guys that are going to have an opportunity to make something kind of stick around next year. And I imagine there's going to be one or two guys that come out of nowhere, you know, plus, like you said, there is guys you can add in free agency. We know uh, Verbeek has talked about wanting to use some of his uh, draft capital to move around, right. Whether that's move up in the draft, whether that's go out and get uh, a player, something like that. Um, Next year, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, it's going to be similar to what I kind of felt the expectations should have been for this year. Yeah. Calder Trophy, Calder Cup, lottery win. That That's the three that I, you know, it looks like we're going to go over for this year. But that's fine because all the reasons you're going over are good, right? If yeah. Zegers and Dreesdale are still down there, we win the Calder. Well, let me say this. I don't think we're out in the first round if Zegers and Dreesdale are still in. In San Diego, yeah. Um, in San Diego, thank you. Uh, you know, so I just think there's a lot to be excited about. There's a lot of questions. Uh, you know, I know this kind of started out as like, how far away do we think they are, or, or um, things like that. But you know, I think we should be prepared for at least another two years of bottom ten finishes, and after that, I think it'll start to get very real. And I think that we'll start to see this team take big steps forward. Um, you know. And if not, then we're going to have a lot of answers about some of these young guys over the next two years if they're not there yet. Um, yeah, we, we say this every year um, in terms of, you know, the Ducks' success hinges on a lot of ifs, ands, and buts with, with a lot of players and whether whether this guy can take a step forward or how's this guy's first NHL season going to go. And, of course, we go into next year's, you know, their, their success depends on can Terry and Seegers repeat or do better? Can... McTavish come in and have an immediate impact and challenge for the Calder Trophy. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you know Max Jones return to the lineup uh, and and be an impactful player? Uh, you know if he gets gets an opportunity to come back, can Maxim come to return to the form from two seasons ago? Right? Is you know who's going to be in net if it's John Gibson? Can he get back to you know the the prime years from a couple years ago? If it's not him, can Lucas Dostal? you know, be a starting netminder at, at, at the you know young age and, and prove that he can be that. Can he form a tandem with Anthony Stolarz? And the list goes on, right? If, is Jamie mm-hmm. Drysdale going to take a step forward offensively and defensively? So there's a lot of ifs for the Ducks next year, and, and their success hinges on that. Uh, but, you know, I know I know for me, like, I am really excited to see Mason McTavish. Uh, we know he's going to get you know, the, the reins to go out there and, and be successful. He's going to be put in a p- position to succeed. He's gonna play in this in the middle of the ice, and presumably we could see a one-two d- down the middle of Zegers and McTavish, which is great. It's exciting to be able to, to to think that we could see that. As as much as it sucks that there's no Getzlaff to to transition from Ryan Getzlaff to then you've got your top two young forwards as your number one and two center the year after that. That that's exciting. That's that's fun to see, and 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 I'm, I am very excited to see Max Jones back. You know, for 
Yeah, absolutely. For him to jump into the lineup and what he could. They're bring. gonna. They exactly right. I I think they're gonna need him yeah. to to really kind of come back all all cylinders going. Uh, but it's it, it made me think when you were talking about you know we talk about this every year about all the ifs ands buts and how much of it just kind of just hinges on young guys and that's just a, a waiting game slash a guessing game. Um, I think the thing that's maybe not different the last couple of years, but certainly the the handful of years before that is there's no stakes you know what i mean like i I, you're not bringing these kids into a situation where you need them to contribute right away right it's not like toronto where nick robertson you're either a full-time player or you're not there's no in between we don't have time to wait for you so you either step into the lineup and you're ready to go or you're not, and we're going to keep you down and let you to continue to develop. But we can't slowly bring you along at the NHL level in a way that maybe we would like to because we've got these guys right now, and they're good. And, you know, for Anaheim, there's none of that pressure. You know, everything they fought, they, you know, the wins or the moral victories or, or whatever it is, I think a lot of it is is all found money. Um, you know, it's really just about seeing what's real, seeing which of these guys can make a difference moving forward and which ones can't. And that's going to be the other part of this is there are going to be guys who come up short. Yep. That's just the way it goes. We're and already it's seeing not, that, right, with, with yeah. guys like Sam Steele. So. You know, and it's it's not an, an indictment of them as players or as people. It's just the reality. Not everybody's an NHL player. If there were, they wouldn't make so much money. Um you know, so it's it's going to be interesting to see, and I'm very excited. You know, even with like Hellison, you know, yeah, are we going to get a Hellison Zellweger pairing next year? That would be very cool. I would love that, even if it's in San Diego. Now, I don't think Zellweger is old enough to play for San Diego yet. I think he'll only be like 19 next year. Yeah, I think so he's he got one more be, year of junior left. He might be back in juniors. Um, you know, but but it's nice to know that that pressure isn't necessarily there as far as these guys are going to have to jump in to the deep end right away. They don't have to do that. And I think that's going to provide a very, um, a very unique and a very beneficial opportunity for this team to take its time for, to give Pat Verbeek a full year to really see what he has. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what he does this summer, obviously, is going to tell us a lot about what he's looking at as far as strengths, weaknesses, uh, distance from competing, um, things like that. But he is going to be able to take next year and take a very long, hard look at who's on this team in the future and who's not. Yep. I, I think I think uh, Zellweger gets the nine game run uh, at the start of the season, depending on how training camp goes. Uh, but I would imagine he gets a test to see how he does, and then they'll decide from there to send him back to junior. He's really the only guy right now who's kind of in that position. I don't think Pastuov is ready. I think he'll probably go back to junior for another year because uh, they really want them to, you know, the mantra seems to be we want them to dominate in that league before we kind of make that decision. You know, Mason McTavish definitely has done that was doing that before uh-huh. and has gone back and done that. Olin Zellweger has done that. So McTavish will be with the team this year, had his nine-game stint and, and looked impressive uh, at the beginning of this year. You, so that's that's what I wanted to ask you. I would say, do you think it's more likely than not that McTavish plays 75 games next year in Anaheim? Yeah. I, I just I, I don't see 
the benefit from sending him back down to junior. Like we we've seen it this year. What yeah. he, what he's doing almost two points per game, almost a goal per game. He's in the playoffs with over a goal per game right now. Um, it, it, you know he's a man amongst boys down there. It's it's it's. It's a, it's a joke for him to have to be playing down there. It's great that he's dominating. It, you know, he's doing everything you need. We saw it with Comtois when they sent him back down. Is, you know, we thought he was ready when when he was originally up, and they're like, no, we're gonna send you back down. You're gonna dominate. He go he went down there and did that, and since then he's been with the Ducks, right? Uh, I can't imagine McTavish, no matter how you know the first nine games go or whatever. Or, you know, maybe, you know, I, I just don't see them sending him down at any point. Now, if he plays 20, 25 games and it doesn't look great, you can send him back down at that point. You know, it's mm-hmm. a one-way trip. You can't bring him back up, but you can send him down to junior 20, 25 games in and say, listen, it's not working out. We're going to send you back down mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to put somebody else in here. So that's the only way I can see him not playing a lot of games uh, with the Ducks next year, you know, 60, 70 games, is if that's the case where he comes – into the Ducks lineup does not look good for a long period of time. Uh, he's a healthy scratch for a few games or whatever, and uh, and then gets sent back to junior that way. I mean, I, that's the worst-case scenario. I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, but barring that, I, I see him playing a, a bunch of games for the Ducks next year. And I think Olin Zellweger, like I said, becomes that uh, that nine-game stint guy where they test him out for a bit, uh, you know, see how he does in training camp, see how he does in rookie camp, give him a, a few games at the NHL level, see how he does, see how he's adjusting. And then at that point, make the decision of whether you're going to keep him up or send him back. Because he's going to have a chance, right? Like, no Lindholm. Uh, it's really only Fowler on that left side who is is blocking any anybody's spot from getting in. So he's got two positions to kind of jump into there. And on the right, it's just Shattenkirk and Drysdale, right? Of, of kind of the top guys that are, are guaranteed a spot uh, on this roster. So Zellweger, you know, his, his opposition is Mahura, is Gooley, is Larson, is Benoit. If he can prove he's physically ready Vakanainen. for the NHL level, yeah, Vakanainen, you know that's those are guys he could beat a spot, right? He could beat out oh, for just just the way he plays, like dyna- you know his dynamic offensive ability. He's better than those guys, and as mm-hmm. long as he can physically show that he can compete at the NHL level, he's he's a guy I think that could sneak onto the uh, onto the Ducks roster next year. But yeah, I, I think Pastrnak is probably a guy who goes back to junior next year, and they want to see you know a over point per game player and in, in, in progression off his first year. He had a great first year this year, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I think he's a the guy they're going to set back and, and look for a little bit more from. But let's get into our, our offseason preview because we're talking about it right now. We talked a little bit about what we think Verbeek will do uh, in the offseason. You know, potential trades. John Gibson is just one that's come up a few times. And then looking a little bit ahead to, to free agency and offer sheets. First chance for, for Verbeek really to continue to make his mark is, is heading into the draft. What do you think he does? You know, we've talked about moving moving picks and moving up. Um, we've talked about you know guys, other guys getting potentially traded at the draft. How, how busy do you think Verbeek will be come draft day and, and on the days leading up to the draft? I will say I expect to hear one of those classic they're in on everyone things uh, about the week before heading into the draft. I I think, you know, that's when it kind of gets real for the GMs. You start to see some of that stuff pick up as far as, um, oh my God, my brain just completely turned off. Uh, As far as GMs kind of starting to realize where they're at and what's coming up and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, 
you know, so I, I expect that, that week going in, I expect to hear his name quite a lot. I hear, I expect us to hear, I mean, I mean I, you know, like it's almost going to be like a united transfer window. We're going to hear everybody's name. Whether yeah. or not any of it comes true is a different conversation, but I do fully expect to hear Verbeek in on anybody. You know, if Konechny is available, I don't see how we're not in on Konechny. You know what I mean? Like there's going to be players who are available that they're not – you're not thinking about now and it's going to be interesting to see which direction he goes right because on one hand he could look to move out some of the older players try to move a silverberg with retained salary try to move a henry with retained salary got gibson you've got fowler you've got shattenkirk 3.9 only one year left on that deal right there are guys that can be kind of shuffled around a little bit um you know, I, I don't know that we also don't see him maybe move out some of the less exciting prospects. You know, I, I'm not 100% sure Sam Steele's on this team next year. It wouldn't surprise me if he got moved for a third-round pick, you know, or a late second or something like that, uh, or he got thrown in with a pick to move up in the draft or something like that. I think that's perfectly reasonable. I'm very, very curious about the Lundestrom situation because he's an RFA, and let me see, is he, yeah, he's uh, arbitration eligible. And he had a good year statistically. Yeah. You know, uh, I know some of the underlying numbers are, are a little concerning as far as the impact he was able to have. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I wonder, is, it, so back to Lundestrom real quick, sorry, my brain is scrambled. I apologize to everybody. I'm a little more scatterbrained than normal right now. Um, you know, if Lundestrom's ask is too high, we uh, Verbeek's going to move his ass. He doesn't have any loyalty to him, any 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 ties to him. He is trying to do the best that he can for the thing. He kicked David Notice's ass out of the building. He kicked Tom Marchand out of the building. Like he clearly does not have a problem making decisions that he thinks make the team and the organization better. Yeah. So if Lundestrom asks for something that he considers to be a little ridiculous. Yeah, dude, I could 100% see him not being on the team next year. Um, Gibby is the one that I, I expect. You know, we, we talked about this, I think, with Brad Lambert in the draft being the bellwether. Uh, I expect Gibby to be the bellwether. If Gibby's on this team next year, I, if Gibby's on, I think Gibby is the biggest move that they can reasonably make. Yep. And I think it's um, the most likely one that, that yes. gets done, too, of the big moves. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. I think it's the most likely, and I think it's um, it's the biggest move they can make, right? Because you can get a team who, you know, needs that mid-prime goalie or late-prime goalie or whatever who can, you know, hash out the fucking what Gibby is later. Mm-hmm. But he's the kind of guy that, you know, could be interesting to a lot of teams. Yeah, um, a lot of teams you crash out of the playoffs for whatever reason and not happy with their goaltending again we're looking at we just talked about boston we talked about toronto uh, you know dallas potentially i know they really like jake ottinger so that's likely not going to happen but there are going to be teams that crash out and minnesota and, yeah minnesota um you know and and upstart teams that are looking to to do better right talking about um, new jersey i think dave brought up new jersey as, as a potential mm-hmm. team as well so there's going to be a lot and and you know we, we got to address something that brett mentioned he said you understand we need to add cap not lose it i I think with any of these trades you know with john gibson is dealt um you know if if whoever if henrik or silverberg are dealt one the way you keep some of the cap is like you'd said you retain the salary make it a bit more intriguing to a team 
uh, that that is kind of tight against the cap to bring in a guy like that. And two, you're you're using your cap space to bring in some bad contracts as well. We saw that almost happen with the data and off trade. I think so. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. I'm very curious to see if the data and off trade is revisited, or just uh, trades like it. Like I I, I can see the Ducks well, yeah, looking to help out some teams. Yeah. Yeah, I think that absolutely highlights that Pat Verbeek is willing to make those moves. Yep. But I think Dadnov is a very interesting and unique one because Dadnov, after that hold the back hole, he came out hot. He showed that he can still be a productive player in a top six role. If you're going to eat a huge salary, why not eat it on a guy that you can at least get 20 goals and 40 points out of? Yeah. You know, and add a little bit of veteran goal scoring to the top of your roster. That's huge. You know, if you can move on from a Henry, even if you can't move on from a Henry, you know what I mean? Like if you can do, you know, Henry, Dadnov, and Terry or something, you know, next year as a, a second line or something like that, I, I think you have to be very open to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I get the, they have to add money. They only have $40 million in cap. And if you move out a six and a half or a five and an eight and kind of stuff, but like, again, like you said, you're gonna have to bring money back. It's a hard cap. This is there aren't teams that are gonna be able to go into a, a luxury tax or anything like that. Um, you know, there's gonna be hard. I, you know, do they take on a Kessler contract type of thing, right? Do they take on a Michael Furland uh, up in Vancouver, who I think's got like two years left, making yeah. three and a half million? That's not a ton of money, but that's enough that it matters, especially for Vancouver, who's got a bunch of players they're trying to keep. You know. Um, It'll be interesting. I, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I kind of expect it to be a mix of both. I imagine that, uh, I think it was Tara Vinan was who um, Carolina got for taking on a bad contract from Chicago after one of their cup wins. Yep. Um, I think it was Dave Boland. Well, like, you know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, going back to the Gibson thing as, as Kevin Fiala, a, a guy who potentially could you know he's a pending rfa part of a potential john gibson deal right it's kevin fiala is the type of player the ducks would need a goal scoring winger young enough that he kind of fits into the plan right now i think he's 24 25 years old maybe that's a piece you know he's gonna be 26 next year eh, close enough no 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 (laughs) but yeah like i I think i think those are things you can explore where yeah you know yes you're moving out six and a half uh or 6.4 john gibson um, you're likely going to sign Fiala for around that. Maybe you take on another another contract from Minnesota to to offset some of their cost um, in in, a, in them getting John Gibson, right? So I, I I think the Ducks are in in potentially one of the better spots of any of the teams right now in, in terms of the flexibility of what they can do this off season, whether it is going out and making a big trade and acquiring somebody you know, like me or something like that, or you know we've, we've joked kind of in, internally about Matthew Kachuk as a as an offer sheet or, or you know a trade for his rights if Calgary can't get him and Goudreau signed uh, you know we talked about line A and a few other guys they're they're in they have the possibility to go out and do something like that whether it's an offer sheet or a big move to bring in a guy like that they also could move guys out and, and make a big trade of their own they could move up in the draft they could go into free agency and make a splash if they really wanted to they can bring in salary they can move out salary like they they really have no limitations of what they could do and they've got a gm who really wants to make his stamp on this organization uh, and is willing to do anything uh, as we've seen at the deadline and and the interviews that that uh, that we've seen from from pat verbeek they you know he's really open to doing anything to help this team so it's uh it's a fun spot to go into in the offseason to know like there's a lot of different cards on the table of what they could do and 
you know, we, we might as well talk about it a bit because we talked about the trades, but like looking at free agency and, and some guys who could be available or looking at, uh, I know they don't happen really ever unless you're Montreal and Carolina and you hate each other, but offer sheets potentially of, of some teams that are up against it. You talked about Vancouver and guys like Brock Besser and, and, and others who need to get signed. Uh, Patrick Laine and Columbus, whether he's happy there or not, they don't really have any cap issues. But then the big one again uh, is Calgary. You know, Likely it's Johnny Goodrow who makes way. Because yeah. if they can't afford to get both, but maybe they get into a situation where they sign Johnny Goudreau to you know a nine and a half ten million dollar deal, and they're trying to make room for Matthew Kachuk and they can't make it work, and you hit him with an offer sheet, right? You know, daydreaming a little bit here, but the the Ducks definitely do have the option to do a lot of different interesting things this off season, and those included. All right, here it is: Cam Talbot, Matt Dumba, Carson Lambos. Uh, for John Gibson and X player, like I don't know. Sorry, it's Lam- Lambos Dumba and who? Lambos Dumba and Talbot, mm-hmm. who makes three point six 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 seven million dollars because they do not have a ton of cap space. So if they're going to bring in somebody, they got to move a couple of guys out. Talbot and Dumba are guys that are going to be UFA. Uh, next summer anyway, so it makes sense for them to move them out. That gets them about $10 million in cap space, um, you know, which gives them about $7 million roughly. Maybe they make another move or two, um, but, you know, you end up with a, a little bit of extra money there to try to keep Fiala, um, you know, and now you're looking at taking Gibby as your goalie and you're taking Fiala and Boldy and hopefully Rossi uh, you know, and that, that's who you're you're running through next year with behind that uh, uh, Ole Eriksson Ek, not Ole, Joel Eriksson Ek line behind mm-hmm. the Kaprizov line. Uh, maybe Ryan Hartman is able to move back to the wing instead of playing at center. I I, um, I think if anything, if 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 you're making a deal with Arizona if, or not Arizona, Minnesota, if, I, if I'm the Ducks, I think Kevin Fiala has to be the piece you're getting back. Because um, I don't, you know, the, the situation Minnesota's in, I don't think Boldy and Rossi are going anywhere. Um, and I like Carson Lambos. Why wouldn't you rather let them keep Fiala and use that as the leverage to gouge him? Yeah, because potentially. Here's the thing. If you take Dumba, you're getting a first for Dumba at the deadline. Right handed shot, he's physical, he puts up goals, he can be on a power play, he can play 5 on 5, he can play on a penalty kill. You're going to get a pick for him. He's going to be, you know, 28 at the deadline next year. Like, I just – yeah, I, I think I, – I get what you're saying, but Kevin Fiala is 25 right now, and he turns 26 in July. So he will be 26 going into next year. That's not – that is not so old that he's not useful, but that basically means you have to compete within the next one to two years because you're still going to want that two- to three-year window – between 27 28 and 30 31 and if that's the case you're putting the that starts to put pressure on some of your young guys and that maybe speeds up the timeline a little you know i yeah i like i I feel the same way about forsberg like i would love to add those guys they're dynamic they're you know incredible goal scorers they're wonderful skaters they're creative we've seen it in the playoffs you know even when they're getting their teeth kicked in there's still guys who can make things happen but i don't know that you want to give them the money that they deserve to not be part of your window yeah i i think it i think it is tough and i, and I, I do think fiala is kind of right on the the cusp 
of of being a part young enough to be a part of this window right like he he is 25 he's going to be 26 this summer in july uh forsberg i think is a bit different because he's i think 28 turning 29 or 27 mm-hmm. turning 28 by by the start of next season so again those those two years i think do make a difference um I think when you're looking at those two trades, you know, I, I like always bringing in a, a young player like Carson Lambos, but I, I think if I had to pick between, you know, Lambos and what is potentially a late first round pick that you're getting for Dumba, maybe another B level prospect or Kevin Fiala, I, th- I think I take I think I take a guy like Kevin Fiala every time, right? A, a guy who's improved mm. season on season, proved this year, and again, you know, you know the, this season you take kind of the numbers with a grain of salt because you don't know if it's ever going to be like that again. Maybe this season was a one-off. Who knows? Um, probably not the way the league is trending with, with more goal scoring. But you know, this, this is a guy I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear. 33 goals, 85 points this year in 82 games Kevin Fiala had. The season before that, 20 and 20, 40 points in 50 games. The season before that, 23 goals, 54 points in 64 games. So he's had three really good seasons. Um, and then obviously this year was crazy. And, and the big thing for me is – the 85 points came not playing with Kirill Kaprizov. So you can't say it, his production there is because Kirill Kaprizov, oh, no. right? So it, it is, for me, I think he's right on the, uh, on the cusp of being a little bit too old for what we're looking for here. So I, I, I think if you were going to make that trade, I, I think those are the types of guys you're looking to get in, the 23, 24, 25-year-old guys who are impactful players already. If you're moving out a guy like John Gibson, I, th- I think that's what I'd be looking to bring in, or you know, the, the bona fide top prospects from, from certain teams. You know, If you could get a boldy, obviously, that would be the guy you'd be looking at, but I, I, I highly doubt uh, he's moved for anything. Here's the thing that I think we need, Eddie, because I think this gives me and you exactly what we want and also sets us up to do what we need to do this summer. Minnesota needs to win the fucking cup because if Minnesota wins the cup, then they can trade Marcus Felino. If they trade him before they win the cup, that sucks. But if they win the cup this year, then say, thank you very much. You and your $3 million contract are going to go to Southern California. That's aces. Mm-hmm. You get... Talbot, Felino, maybe their 28 pick at the draft, Lambos, uh, you know, for Gibby, like that's not a bad deal at all. No. Like I, you know what I mean? I, so I don't know. I just, uh, I want Minnesota to win the whole damn thing anyways. And now I'm talking myself into it even more just because uh, we can maybe send Gibby up there. As uh, Dave likes to point out, we are verging, getting close to two hours, an hour and 35 minutes. Um, we have yeah, also we not podcasted for a month so we do have a lot to to get caught up on usually this would probably be about two episodes at the very least that we would get into um but I, let, let's wrap up with the off-season kind of preview we'll we'll go into a more of an, an off-season preview on, on an upcoming podcast where we can really break it down by free agency in the draft and and do things that way. I think we'll we'll have kind of separate shows where we do a draft preview and we have a guy, you know, somebody on to that knows a little bit more than us to, to talk about some of the guys available and we'll do a free agency preview and we'll kind of separate those. But the the last thing I kinda of want to chat about, we mentioned it briefly, with the potential for some offer sheets this year. And I know we've we've had some offline discussions about that. Uh, pretty heavily because we we have nothing better to do. But uh, when you when you look at some of the guys available, we you know Fiala, Line A, um, Besser, Kachuk, you know 
for you who's worth an offer sheet and Kachuk. Yeah, yeah, that that's the guy for me. I think he's the only guy worth the offer sheet. I agree. Um, uh, what what what? How far are you willing to go? We we had this conversation in a chat a couple of days ago. But how how high are you willing to go, and how much are you willing to give up to get him if you had to offer sheet him and, and looking at the compensation? So, the first thing for me that would matter the most in my willingness to offer sheet him is term, because there are there has been talk I think over the last year and a half, maybe even a little bit longer. Uh, especially with Kachuk's RFA status coming up, that you know some people think they're going like he, and then even Brady maybe down the line are going to try to get to UFA so they can just walk to St. Louis where they grew up. Um, and if that's a thing, then I, you know you can't give up multiple first round picks for a guy who's going to leave in two three years. Yeah. Uh, but if you can commit, get him to commit to eight uh, eight years, I, I have. I would give him eight by nine right now, eight by 10 even. I mean, he, he's a selkie, win- uh, he, sorry, he's not a selkie winner, but he is a selkie quality player at both ends. He provides an edge and a, a, a physicality that I think this team very much needs. Um, and, and again, like he's just a really good fucking player and he's young. And, you know, if you told me that the top line was uh Kachuk Zegras Terry yeah man let's go I don't give a shit that's the best thing in the world what are you talking about you know I'll give you you know three three firsts and three seconds for that I I absolutely will um one of the eight guys to get over 100 points this year yeah he's just he's 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 fucking incredible man and you know I I just think there are so many things about him as a player that I love that it would be very nice to to I would be very willing to maybe be a little dramatic in my pursuit of him because the truth of the matter is is he would be the guy who would take up the mantle for Perry as far as you know yeah. the guy who's gonna develop vertigo when the pain is blue and and drive the other team crazy and get them to take penalties and stuff like that and, you know, again, you're insulating and adding support to a team that's already got McTavish who's about to come up, you know. Um, I, I think the offer sheet thing is something I would be very willing to explore. I'll be very curious to see if Pat Verbeek does it. But the other thing about it is, is I wonder if the risk of an offer sheet is worth calling Calgary. Yeah. Right? You know, like, look, we can do this, and then you can have to choose – and maybe you'll get a few picks, but you guys are clearly good now. Whereas right now I'll give you, you know, I'll give you what you figure Zellweger, Comtois, a first, probably Perot. Like, you know what I mean? Like just fill the bucket and just be like, let's give you pieces that you can at least get into the lineup sooner than later because you need them. Yeah. Than you know a twenty twenty five first round pick that doesn't do you any good on a team that's currently in their window. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one, and it's I mean it's it's a way out there theory. Offer sheets rarely happen, uh, if at all. Uh, but yeah, if there was a guy right um, that that you could offer sheet at this point, like he's he's the guy. Like he is is a no brainer in terms of going out and trying to make that happen or trying to make a deal to get him if you feel like they're going to be in a tough situation. Realistically, they let Goodrow walk if they feel like they're they're going to be backed into a corner and have to choose because I don't see how you choose Johnny Goodrow over Matthew Kuchuk. 
um, you know, with their ages and their impact on the lineup and on more areas and just putting up points. So I, I think it's it's a pipe dream for sure. But it is one uh, if you have the opportunity to put them in a tough situation and try and get them, you got to do it. You, you just have to. You have to go out and try and get them. So uh, I'll, I'll uh, what, what looking at cap friendly. Mm-hmm. If they did seven years by ten million, that would be two firsts, a second, and a third. Yep. I, that, I that, that that I uh, yeah yeah I would 100 percent do because that because to me they are not a bottom uh, a lottery team or a bottom five team with Matthew Kachuk in this lineup next year they're not right. and that's the thing Matthew Kachuk is the quote unquote bird in the hand two in the bush to Connor Bedard yeah um so uh, you know wow that's a very intriguing choice especially if again like I said you can get him to sign. And in, with serious term, six, seven years. Yeah. Um, and know that you got him for that prime. And now, you know, I mean, look, you've already at that point got three wonderful American boys who can yeah. do beautiful things. On together. one line together. Potential <sighs> top line for Team USA moving forward back to the Olympics. I mean, that's not going to happen. But... No. Austin Matthews will take I was that spot, say, but... Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's going to be more than a couple of guys getting Oh, Jack, Jack Eichel. Okay, let's, let's slow the roll there. I still like him, but not that much. I'm not saying anything other than the fact that at this point, <laughs> he's still Jack Eichel. He's still yeah. really good. Yeah, And and Johnny Hockey, 115-point mm-hmm. uh, player this year. All right, um, we got a couple housekeeping things we got to get to. Um, our boy Hunter Drew made his NHL debut. That was nice to see. We were waiting for so that awesome, to happen. Man. Hoping to get to a, a few more shots next year um, I, to, to be that kind of full-time guy. Yeah, I would not be surprised uh, if he was up for the full year next year uh, because I think he provides an internal option for Pat Verbeek to not have to go out necessarily and, and bring in a guy like, again, nobody get mad at me. I'm just using him as an example. Yeah. Go out and bring back a DeLaurier, right, <laughs> to, to maybe just have that kind of physical there. If you have a guy like Hunter Drew who's on an ELC who you can bring up, he's going to be waiver-exempt. He, he gives you far more flexibility, yep. and he still is going to provide um, that physicality. And we saw his goal scoring take a big step forward in San Diego. He has a good shot, um, and, and he's able to put it away. Now, how much of that is the kind of time and space that exists at the AHL level and not at the NHL level? You know, the joke was always uh, George Paros's wife always made the joke. I knew George when he was a goal scorer, and then they would do the uh, duck skills competitions, and he won the accuracy challenge multiple years. The problem is, is he can't do it at full speed yep. with all of the game happening. You know, it's it's a question of which one of those Hunter Drew is. But you know, uh, you've also got a guy like Sam Colangelo who can maybe come up and, and, and be that kind of physical presence. So maybe they don't feel Max the Jones too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To rush Drew, but I mean, you know, Max Jones and Hunter Drew on a line together with like Isaac Lundstrom—that's not a bad look. Yeah, and we can't forget Mason, Mason McTavish is a big kid too. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not going to be his role, but he—that's the thing. He's a very interesting one to me because he is going to be the—I mean, it, it, right? Like they likely won't. So if they don't go out and get a Kachuk, Mason McTavish is the guy who fills that role. Yep. As far as a guy who's going to be physical, who's going to bother people, be in the who's crease. going to make sure you know he's there all the time. And Zegers doesn't shut up, so he's going to be there all the time. Yep. And, um, you know, but 
as far as Hunter Drew, I don't know how the fuck we got all the way off track. I'm sorry, but like Hunter Drew, I'm 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 happy for him, and I would expect him to play about 55, 60 games next year. Yep, still waiting for him to come on the podcast and explain his 129 oh. pims in 10 games in Slovakia. So that's so cool. <laughs> it's, wasn't it like 111 minutes and yeah, it was some like 23 games. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous, something obnoxious. I know, I and that league is notorious for for high penalty minute production, but that was that's, that's insane. Still... I still got to know how that happened. Yeah. Um, Olin Zellweger made pro debut, one game for the goals. I uh, didn't end up watching the game, but I, I heard good reviews about how he played. You know, he, his uh, skating ability was on full display. Got a secondary assist, I think, on uh, one of the, the, the goals last goal of the game. So nice to see him get a shot. Like I, I was a bit surprised to see that, honestly. I, I, I know nobody expected uh, Everett to get get swept. or I didn't get swept. I think they lost in six games to one of the worst teams in the playoffs. So Everett, I think, was the best team. Uh, in the Western Hockey League, and they they lost to a team that had a below 500 record in the playoffs, which is so. I don't think anybody expected them to go out where they did, and Zellweger to be available to go and and have play any games uh, with the mm-hmm. AHL. But it was nice to see him get one. Like it's not it's not going to make a huge difference on his projections for next year, but he got a little taste of pro hockey and didn't seem out of place in a meaningful playoff game against a rival, a heavy team in Ontario and, and he looked good. So it, it was nice to see get an early look at that, you know, he can do it or he should be able to do it. And uh and what we've seen from him at junior is that despite his you know, him being undersized as a defenseman, his skating can get him out of trouble a lot. We saw that uh in, in a brief sample size with that game. So you know, I I've we've talked about being excited about a lot of guys, McTavish, Jones He's the guy, when it comes to training camp next year, I think all, a lot of eyes are going to be on him, on, on what he can do and, and can he make the roster. And, and if he gets a few games with the Ducks, how does he adjust, right? You know, the, There's always that question about guys who are labeled as undersized, especially defensemen. We, we heard it a bit with Drysdale, right? And how are they going to adjust? How are they going to look? And I think Drysdale proved a lot of people wrong in terms of how quickly he adjusted to the NHL despite his size. And I think Zellweger... Uh, is only going to do the same. He, you know, profile is fairly similar to to Drysdale in a lot of ways. So I, I'm uh, he's a guy I'm looking forward to seeing, and I'm, I'm super excited that he at least got a, a game in that we got to see him at uh, at a higher level. Yeah, and I think it's exactly the kind of thing you want, right? Like you said, he gets a taste of that pro level, but more than anything, he kind of you hope he gets the bug, you know, and he goes into this summer and pushes himself and develops and gives you a reason to think about keeping him up next year. I still think you're right. I still think ultimately he ends up in juniors. But if he pushed for nine games and looked the way McTavish looked in his nine games this year, I don't know that I would be completely surprised. Um, You know, I I still have questions as far as like, is he going to be Yandel, Goss, Despair, bad in his own end? Or is he going to be able to use, again, his skill and and his brain to uh you know mitigate some of that those issues but even still you know he, he had to put up a lot of points for a lot of years Jane Gossespierre is not a bad player he got he got it was weird for him in Philadelphia but he can still put up points he can he can run a power play you know what I mean I mean these guys are are are, are impactful players when used correctly and when given the best opportunity to succeed um 
So, you know, I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to this summer. I think once the uh, draft hits, it's going to be full speed ahead. And we're going to really have an idea of what the hell's going on around here because there's not a lot of room for ambiguity, in my opinion. I think one way or the other, it's going to be clear what the expectation of this team is next year. Um, as far as the level of competitiveness on a nightly basis, I don't think anybody expects them to push for the playoffs next year, but I think it would be reasonable to me for management to look at the way this year said, said, okay, 10 was good. Go for 12. Yeah. Right. You know, instead of dropping to eight, push up to 12. Let's see if we can keep to take, keep taking these steps forward. Um, and no, no spots are guaranteed. I think that's going to be like, you got to go in there every night and, fight for your place in the lineup. Um, and I think that extends to everybody, right? Like, Zegris and Terry are the safest of anybody, but you got to go in there and understand, like, your spot isn't guaranteed. There are other guys that are going to be pushing to get into this lineup. There's a lot of young players on the way. And if you're not going to play well, then there's a guy who's going to take your spot. And I think that that's something we've heard from from Dallas Aikens in the past and, and using that as motivation for a lot of players. And we've seen them... Um, Maybe not so much this year, but in the past, you know, guys like Comtois and, and Steele have been sent down when they haven't been playing well, and I think that's something we could we could see again this year with a lot of kind of players pushing uh, and, and are on the cusp of being able to play for the Ducks. Um, you know, more than a handful of games, guys like Perot and Tracy and Hunter Drew, Benoit Lebe Grew, who we've even talked about, who played a handful of games for the Ducks this mm-hmm. year. Like, there's a lot of guys who are pushing. To get into the lineup, ah, so you've, you've so you got to earn your place, and you got to go out there and compete every night, and and that's something we know Dallas Aikens is going to be looking for. But one guy we know is going to be around at least and has a new contract is Sam Carrick. I ah. love the deal. I I think it's great. I thought, I was blown away. It came in under a million a year. Yeah, I thought he was going to get a one and a I half. I assumed it was going to be one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I thought he was going to get a two or three by one and a half. Yeah, yep. but uh, he gets a two year eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar extension. Ah. Uh, great for him, one, to be able to, you know, get another two years, new two-year contract. I think it's a one, a one-way deal, which again, yeah. it doesn't really mean too much, but it just means he gets paid no matter what, which is great for him. It's great to see. He's worked really hard to get to that point. He was great this year. He's one of my favorite players to watch. Just competed on a nightly basis and gave 100% every time he was out there. And he, and he, he, he did things well. Like he was one, probably the Ducks' best defensive forward when you go and look at the underlying numbers. He chipped in with, uh, what was it? I think, it's, how many goals did he have this year? Sam Carrick 11. had 11 goals, two primary assists, six secondary assists, uh, 46% expected goals at 5 on 5, 46.7 at Corsi. Uh, he finished with 1.5. GAR and he had an underlying XGAR of three nine. So yeah, he had a good year. Yeah, a good um, year, and he, he's a really good fourth line NHL forward. He's proven that. He's worked hard. You know, done it at the AHL level. Became a captain, one of the top contributors for the goals. Just really, you know, the worked his way through up up through the system and become a valuable player for the Ducks. I'm excited to see him back for the next couple of years. I'm excited to see him on the fourth line with a few different guys and see how that works for him. But um, he he's really going to be become what Derek Grant was a few years ago and a guy that if you need to move him up in the lineup, you can. You know he's going to play well. You know he's going to contribute. You know he's going to compete. He's got enough skill um, and, and a, a decent enough shot to be a good player that can kind of move up into the top nine if, if he needs to. Um, and for 850000 it's a no-brainer. 
you know, it's basically league minimum, 100k above league minimum. Like that, to get this guy for that, uh, I think that's a huge win for the Ducks. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I, I really do. And, you know, on to, to on Carrick side of it, I think it being a two-year deal, he'll end up being, I don't know, 32, uh, 32 33, uh, depending on when his birthday is. But it gives him another shot at another contract, right? You know yeah. what I mean? He can have that two-year deal. He can play well, and he can prove, you know, again, he's a full-time bottom six player. And he doesn't necessarily have the NHL minutes on his body uh, that – some of the other players will so maybe you know his 32 was a little bit closer to 28 or 29 and he can sign a two or three year deal worth a million and change two million something like that and and really do some good for himself so it, it i think it's a very easy deal to rationalize from both sides i think it's a very clearly a huge win for anaheim uh as far as what he's going to bring to the team uh his ability to be a voice to be physical on the ice to play you know some matchup minutes to to just be a trusty a trustworthy player at the nhl level for the ducks moving forward uh in a way in which they're going to need because a lot of this is going to be up and down yep no 100 percent um i think he's of the guys that um you would want to bring back from the fourth line i think he's he's the big one that uh, you wanted to come back so Last uh, piece of news we have here before we get uh, any closer to the two-hour mark is the Ducks, um, well, they first, they axed Dave Donis, which was, I don't want to say it was great, but... No, it was, we, it was we, great. It was, it was great. Uh, Dave You're Donis. Dave Donis gone. Ducks then brought in Rob, I think it's Rob DeMeo as the assistant general manager, also is going to serve as the general manager of the San Diego Goals. Uh, so that's going to be kind of his main role. And then... Um, just one of three uh, assistant general managers along with Martin Madden. And, uh, God, who am I mixing up? The, the... Mike Stuthers? Yes, right? Mike Stuthers, right? I mix up him and, and the, the coach. Yeah. Over. But, yes, Mike Stuthers, I believe, um, are the other AGM. So nothing's going to change there. Nothing's going to change with their, um, their structure. You're questioning it too, aren't you? I can see it in your face. I, yeah, I am now. <laughs> I don't know why I can't I remember the name. God, it shows you how the... the uh... Mike Stuthers. Uh, he's an assistant coach for the Anaheim Ducks. Shit. So what? who why, is it? Why can't I remember? Oh, come on. This is embarrassing. Ducks. A... I'm gonna be really annoyed nope, when, when, just died. when I when I hear uh, when I hear the name Paul McCartney because I know it, but I don't know it. <laughs> so hold on, Michael McDonald, unreal, unreal. The Ducks, uh, <laughs> the the Ducks front office page just hit me with it's the fucking Jeff Solomon, isn't it? Yes, there. You, thank you. God damn it, the Ducks. Uh... <sighs> <laughs> front office, front office page hit me with the. Don't even. They hit me with the. Oof. <laughs> can't see anything. Yeah, they, they hit me with the oof. Air four four error page not found. Oof. Wow. Yeah, yeah. L A guy. That's what I got. They're both L A guys. Jeff remember. Solomon. That's his name. God. Yeah. So Jeff Solomon, Martin Madden, and Rob DeMaio are the AGMs. Nothing changes with the structure because basically DeMaio comes in and replaces Dave Nonis. 
his main goal is going to, or his main job is going to be serving as the Gulls GM. Um, and then he, he brings a, a long history of uh, scouting experience. We know the Ducks are pretty good in their amateur scouting department, but they've been trying to beef up the pro scouting side of things. We've heard that from um, you know the executives in the past and from Pat Verbeek as well to, that they want to bring you know, kind of beef up that side of things. So DeMeo's been an NHL executive for 14 seasons, uh, followed 19 years in the league as a player. He's been with the Blues for the last 13 years, uh, most recently as a director of player personnel, uh, and he's done, had multiple scouting roles with that team. It was a part of the team uh, in 2019 when they won the Stanley Cup. So, uh, again, bringing in a guy who has uh, got a proven track record, a proven winner, has been a part of a championship team, trying to build up that championship caliber and, and know-how in the front office. So, I, I, again, it's not a major move, but I think it is great to have those guys that have been around that atmosphere and have been around and knows kind of what it takes to build a winning team. And I think, you know, a great structure to, to kind of get an insight on is the Blues and, and how, <clears throat> excuse me, how they built that championship team and what they what they did to get to that point. We know Verbeek's been around uh, Steve Eiserman again has a ton of experience from him, so you're starting to kind of put the pieces together. Jeff Sol- Solomon brings you know his side of things and being a part of a uh, championship caliber team with the Kings, and we know what Martin Brand brings uh, for the Ducks on his scouting side of things. So all of a sudden we've got kind of a, a nice look to the front office where Dave Nonis was like the odd man out there oh, God, for a while. Just, it was a, so embarrassing that he was on the fucking panel. Yeah. Just so stupid. <laughs> His whole job was just basically leaking things to to Darren Dreger, so uh, got him out of there. But uh, good good hire, and you know, again, nothing nothing we can really talk about for for twenty minutes. But I I think it's a smart move to bring a guy like that in who's had some experience and has been around a championship team, um, and you know, adds to what is now a, a pretty good looking front office for the Ducks. And Scotty Niedemar getting bumped up uh, to a role, and you you know you. I forget what his role is now. Special advisor. Special, right? yeah, special advisor for hockey operations or something like something that. Something like that. Uh, the the thing I wanted to say about DeMeo that I think is is interesting or or, or encouraging, I should say, not interesting because it's you know whatever, but I would say encouraging is it actually kind of perfectly threads the needle as far as bringing in a guy with professional experience, but he's not bringing in an older guy. Mm. He's bringing in a younger executive who is now going to step into a larger role in a new organization. And I I think that's the thing about it that is very exciting is you're seeing Pat Verbeek bring guys in behind him that can be there for a while. It's not like Brendan Shanahan bringing in Lou Lamarillo, right? Where it's like, this is a very clear short window move until these two guys are ready and then we'll pick one of them, Um, which hasn't gone great. Um, but, you know, uh, I like that it's guys that can be around for a little while, um, you know, and I think having a guy with a scouting background like that can help kind of insulate them from the event that Martin Madden, Martin Madden? Yeah, decides to move on, uh, you know, and starts to look for something somewhere else. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think it will be good. Um uh, you know, again, it's not it's not going to play a major role, but when you bring a guy like that with uh, the amount of scouting experience he has, and you add it to again a general manager who has a ton of scouting experience, Martin Madden, who's been a scout for his entire career, it's not bad to have some more voices and there more guys who who have been around and understand uh, you know player evaluation and player development. So, it's, uh, and he's not Dave Nonis, so that's a plus. God, <laughs> I just can't say that enough. Uh, but yeah, 
let's uh, let's wrap it there because we're almost at two hours. Um, we warned you all it was going to be a long show because we have been. Uh, well, we, Eddie was almost dead for a little while. Yeah, I, I had what I thought was COVID. It wasn't COVID. And I was just I was out for for a week and a half, two weeks. It was there. phobid. Mm-hmm. You had phobid. Yeah, new the new strain. <laughs> yeah, you had that that bootleg Gucci of COVID. <laughs> uh, but I'm back, and I think I tweeted out like end of April that oh yeah, like I'm fine now. We're gonna be doing a show, and then two <laughs> weeks pass, and we didn't do anything. Uh, but yeah, today today felt like it was the right day to come back. Um, draft lottery, kind of the night of, easy way to kind of transition back into things and cover a lot of the stuff that we've missed, but. Obviously, we've got a lot of plans moving forward. We've got um, draft previews to come, some interviews with some of the people we've talked to in the past and others. Uh, we're going to work on a few of those and, and, and have those ready uh, leading up until the draft. Probably maybe at least two of them, I would imagine, a few different ones that, uh, that we'll yeah, talk to. Yeah, we'll try to sneak people. in two or three episodes at least between now and the draft, um, mm-hmm. even if they're not necessarily specifically draft-related. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, we've got a few like kind of fun shows, and we still we still have our lineup projection um, that mm-hmm. we, that we've been working on for the last month. month <laughs> that yeah, we we've got to do. So we've uh, we've got that coming up. Obviously, like I said, draft previews, eventually free agency. Uh, looking at that, previewing that uh, as well, and then obviously, if if any news comes out, any trades happen, which are likely to do at the draft, then uh, then we'll also cover that. And depending on on the timing. Because um, I know every year, or at least for the first round, we've done a live stream of the draft. I'm I'm not sure if we'll do it again. I don't want to commit to it, not knowing kind of what the timing is going to look like and and everything it's for two months away. We have time. Yeah, yeah for for July. But um, the plan is to do it, um, and we'll let you guys know a little bit closer to the date if we if we can. Um, usually we 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 just kind of cut it off after uh, the Ducks have their pick. But this year it kind of makes sense to do it because the Ducks go into it with the top 10 pick and then the later pick so we can kind of stick around for the entire draft so that's uh, that's the plan but lots of content moving forward appreciate everybody who came out live uh, as well as anybody kind of still listening after our month hiatus um, after the <laughs> fact uh, but uh, yeah we, we appreciate you guys a lot mm. and uh, looking forward to, to being back and putting on some more shows yeah it was a good long season and we had a lot of fun and went better than we thought and you know hopefully next year's kind of a, more of the same so there's a lot to be excited about how excited we get to be in reality is uh still yeah. to be decided yeah and we'll uh we'll keep pushing for a return for for pad and jay sometime soon back to the i think podcast. they're dead i think they're both dead <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know we'll 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 see we're pushing we're we're trying uh, so hopefully all got, they all got stuck in their avatar bodies on Pandora. So they're, yeah, they're never coming back. They're just them. giant ten foot blue people now. It's weird. Yeah. Well, yeah, they were casted as extras in the movie, and that's that's where they've been. So top secret. But now uh, we've <laughs> we've uh, we've broken the news. So now you guys know. But uh, whenever they get back from filming Avatar, wherever they are, then. Uh, <laughs> They'll be back on the show. But I uh, yeah, appreciate everybody coming out, and uh, we'll, we'll see you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Later, y'all.